Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. Today we are talking about, I was going to say one of the great cultural and business phenomenon of the year, but I think it's the great one. It's Taylor Swift and her record-destroying Eras Tour, which as far as I know, every female between the age of 10 and 50-something was legally required to attend this summer. She's been generating $13 million a night playing around the U.S., average ticket price of $254 a pop. Now she's going abroad. By the time she's done, she's estimated to have grossed $1.3 billion this year. So I get that's a lot of money, but I have some other questions. And here to help me understand this is our pal from Vox Media. That's Charlie Harding, host of the truly great Switched on Pop podcast. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, thanks for having me. Are we going to get $13 million per podcast taping? Yep. Oh, great. Yep. Yeah, the, that, the, that's great. It's it's all in Bitcoin, just like Eric Adams' salary, and uh, the Bitcoin is in the mail. So if you got any problems, follow up with Jim Bankoff. Charlie, am I the only clueless adult man who doesn't fully get Taylor? I'm sure that there are plenty of you in the weeds, but you're one of the few who has been brave enough to step forward and ask me to help you out. Okay. I mean, I also didn't love, love, love Barbie, but that's a different... <laughs> discussion, but maybe related, because that's the other giant phenomenon of, of the year, both business and culturally, and also aimed at women. So maybe there's a connection. But let's start here, Charlie. You are a great explainer of, of all things pop music. Um, and I get that Taylor is a, is a talented performer, songwriter. Mm -hmm. Just put her in context. Why is she so big now? Why has she been so big over the years? It's very hard for me to think of anyone close to her equivalent in, in modern music stardom. Yeah, she definitely stands out. I think there's a number of reasons why Taylor is at the top of her game and why she's been relatable ever since the beginning. To begin with, her music stems from a very personal place. She is the writer of her songs. This is fairly unusual in pop music that the performer also has such a heavy hand in the authorship of their music. Plenty of others are involved, but oftentimes you'll find songs where it's just Taylor, and within that you have all of these personal narratives. And of course, a lot of young people really grab onto those personal narratives. She's also way more than just a pop star in this way. She's also an artist, and I think people do connect with her on those lyrical levels. One of the ways in which she has maintained her her relevance and grown her audience is that as she's marketed in her tours, she has many different eras, right? You could have joined her long ago in her country era or her turn to pop music or her shift into folk or now her return into sort of a dance pop world in her various albums. And yet if you're a true Taylor fan, you're going to hear melodic similarities throughout. I really like Taylor Swift because I can identify her melody. She has a way of singing a certain melody we call the T-drop that goes, ba ba ba. She sings this little melody in You Belong With Me. You belong with me. You belong with me. State of Grace. 
Getaway Car, all kinds of songs. No matter what genre she's in, she's always Taylor Swift. How long has she been at this? She's she's in she's in her mid thirties now, correct? Yeah. So I think she just turned thirty three. Uh, I believe two thousand six was the debut album. So that's let's 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 say it's two thousand six for 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 giggles. So that puts her more than a decade and a half into superstardom because she was a big deal almost from the jump. And it's very, very hard for me, and I'm, I'm a reasonably uh, well-read music nerd, you're much more, to think of acts that have been that popular for that long. There's There are mega acts like the Rolling Stones um, who can... Sure. The Rolling Stones, I can't remember exactly pronounce it like that. Who can, who, or the Eagles, whoever, who can like go on tour year after year, but they're playing the songs they wrote. 20, 25, 30 years ago. They yeah. don't advance musically and they become a nostalgia act. And then often when they do try to move from the genre they were initially popular into into another one, I can remember the Rolling Stones doing this the disco, like maybe it works, but often it really doesn't. Um, <laughs> why do you think she's been this successful for this long? Because there's lots of people who write their own songs, lots of people who sure. communicate to their audience in a very specific way. There, is there some, what do you think the, the magic is? Well, I think beyond just her music, she is, I should say, beyond just being a great songwriter, she is expert at crafting narratives. She's better at media than you are, Peter. And I think you're the best person in thinking about media. I feel like- I'm she- the Taylor Swift of media <laughs> podcasts. I feel like she knows how to capture attention and weave these master narratives. Like I think of it as almost like the Taylor Swift cinematic universe, that at any given point, there is some kind of underdog and antagonist relationship that she has right from the very beginning. She launched her career as a a girl from Pennsylvania trying to go into country music and was, you know, not accepted by the country establishment. Then she decides, well, I'm going to go into be a pop star. And you're like, wait, no, no, no. Country stars can't be pop stars. There's, of course, all of the, the hassle that she had with Kanye West at the award shows. And now she is taking on one of the biggest companies in the world. She's taking on Ticketmaster. She's always got some larger narrative that even if you aren't in Taylor Swift's musical universe, you are involved in her media universe because she's capturing attention with these these narratives that match with uh, who she projects as a brand. That she's this underdog just trying to be any old person working in the world. And she happens to be nearly a billionaire. If if you wanted to comp her, I mean, who who else in current era or relatively recent era would you compare her to? The most obvious person I can think of is Beyonce. Right. Is anyone else in that category? Gosh, I mean, even close to it. You're asking a question that's the thing is there aren't a lot of people that have made that transition from CD era, right, like peak music industry through the sort of purgatory stage of music during uh, the beginning of, you know, downloading and illegal downloading and now into this like, you know, behemoth of streaming. Not many have made that transition. I think that Beyonce is the best corollary and everyone else is probably a legacy artist that started even before that. So we've been talking about Taylor Swift as a recording artist for this conversation, for this conversation so far. No. Again, I don't follow her that closely, but my understanding is the news she makes about her albums right now is that she's re-recording her old albums. Mm-hmm. She's in the dispute with Justin, uh, I was going to say Justin Bieber, uh, with Scooter, Scooter Braun, Braun uh, who owns her masters. Or used to. Discussion. He sold them and made a used bunch to. of money yep. off of them. Yeah. Yep. So she's been re-recording her old stuff, and I get that that, again, is a really interesting thing to have done, stirs up new interest. 
is she relevant as a new recording artist? Is the new stuff she's making, does that still have the resonance? Or is she someone whose biggest impact now is sort of culture plus touring? I think that she's always been at the in-between of uh, songwriting, her music, and then everything else that's going on in her world. The, the narrative right now is the tour, but the music is still relevant. Her album Midnight's performed very well. It broke multiple records. Oftentimes when she releases music, her music will uh, have multiple charting positions on Billboard in ways that other artists don't. Uh, even her re-releases, songs that are very, very old are going on Billboard. So it's having commercial success as much as it's having sort of just like larger cultural buzz. Her as a recording artist is, is still very important. While she's on this era's tour, she has been visiting Electric Lady Studios multiple times in New York City. She is, I think, first and foremost, a songwriter and a maker of music. And the narrative of this tour supports that. This is her all of her many eras. She's touring four albums that didn't get tours, right? Lover, Folklore, Evermore, and Midnight's, plus the three re-releases, which are now available. So the idea of her many eras, I think, shows that she's trying to show off her as a songwriter as much as this you know, larger personality. Because the, the two t- touring narratives are generally like, this is where you go to, in the old days, this is where you go to promote, you have a new album so you could tour, yeah. and you'd play the new album, you sort of the tour would support the new album, or vice versa, then there's also like, I don't have any more music that anyone cares about, <laughs> I'm just going to keep playing the songs you guys all heard 30 years then ago. And there's the Vegas residency, but, yeah. Right, and she's doing something that is n- none of those. Yeah, I mean, it has to do a bit that of this unique moment and that she released so much music during the pandemic. And so she has all of this like pent up music, which hasn't been toured. Um, but she's also playing into this, you know, this new reality of mega pop star tours. These aren't music tours as you would know them even 20 years ago. These are spectacles where you have almost more of a like cross between a Broadway show and Cirque du Soleil done through a giant music video where there's costume changes, constant choreo, pyrotechnics, advanced lighting and video. This is a spectacle that you're going to see. And she's not the first to do this, right? Like you two have done this. Madonna have done this. Daft Punk, certainly Beyonce. And Taylor mm-hmm. Swift just has, happens to be doing it bigger than anybody ever. That This is going to be now the biggest tour in history. Were you remotely surprised to see the demand for this tour? Or did you think, oh, no, this is this is going to just blow the roof off and people are going to be, you know, attacking each other for the chance to, <laughs> to get into a lottery for tickets? I think the one thing that Ticketmaster and I have in common is that I underestimated the size of this tour. I was lucky enough that I just had some friends that had some spare tickets to go to the last tour, the Reputation Tour. And as a music journalist, I have not been offered any opportunities to go see this tour. There is such high demand, and I can't find a ticket price that I think is a... Uh, worth paying for people are paying tens of thousands of dollars it's just not yeah not I, I mentioned 254 dollars that came yeah from, what uh, is that Michelle figure bloomberg that i'm sure that is is the, is is the is the, the hidden fee value. by Ticketmaster. please is over 200 dollars oftentimes yeah and people are reselling them etc yeah, yeah. but i mean you an average-ish person could still get the tickets and it would be their expenditure for the year but it is it's not priced to the point where it's not accessible. It's, I think that the issue is that there's just not enough tickets. Or yeah, there's not enough tickets. And certainly if you weren't in the pre-sale line and you were lucky enough to get through all the Ticketmaster bugs that happened in the in the, in the sales process, you might have been able to get a, a quasi-reasonable ticket that would fit a, a middle-class income if this was your big splurge of the year. Yes. We've talked about Ticketmaster a few times. Obviously, it's a ticketing conglomerate uh, that basically controls 
all tickets and live yeah. concerts. Yeah. It's it's a co it's owned by the same people who own Live Nation, who own the concert business, the other half of the concert business. If you want to get really paranoid, it's all owned by John Malone, the, the libertarian billionaire who owns many other things. There was a big ruckus earlier this year when people who thought they could get tickets couldn't get tickets. There was an idea that because Ticketmaster had messed with Taylor Swift and, and her Swifties, <laughs> that they were going to be in real trouble this time because periodically this happens where where people can't get tickets to a, a show and they blame Ticketmaster yeah. um, and politicians get behind it and then nothing really happened. So what, what did happen here with Taylor versus Ticketmaster? Well, I would say that Taylor had a very serious level of misfortunate events in which uh, you know she was required to work with Ticketmaster to tour many of the biggest venues in the United States, right? Obviously, if you're Taylor Swift, you're going on this mega eras tour, you're going to play the big venues. And 70% of the big venues in the United States have a locked-in requirement to work with Ticketmaster. So this is not Taylor Swift's choice. Her team, as reported by it was reported that her team you know, approached Ticketmaster and said, hey, there's going to be a lot of demand. You have to be ready. When Ticketmaster finally launched the pre-sale for her tickets, many people encountered a series of bugs causing very long waits. Many people couldn't get tickets that had pre-registered. And basically, all the tickets that were available were gone more or less instantaneously, and there was no general public sale, so many people missed out. Taylor Swift, being great at narratives wove her underdog story and said, hey, you know, I'm just like any artist. And it's true. Other artists are required to you know, uh, participate in this in the system. Hey, I didn't want to do this. These these folks aren't ready. They're a monopoly. It hurt my fans. And so she took some pot shots at Ticketmaster. In the same time frame, even Joe Biden went on the State of the Union and said, hey, these ticketing hidden fees, all this junk stuff, we got to get rid of it. Due to, I think, a fortunate timing the Department of Justice announced that they are investigating Ticketmaster for monopolistic practices. It turns out that they've been under investigation for probably at least a year. Um, they were not. They were not taking orders from from Taylor Swift. Inc. This is what's being reported. Um, uh-huh. But it this uh, this announcement came out around the same time that you know, th- this this hullabaloo was taking place, and so many many see it as maybe um, Taylor Swift having had a significant influence on the Department of Justice. And I don't mean to make light of it. It, it is an important issue, and I think that's one of the things that she does well is she does stand up for when uh, the music industry isn't um, being. Um, fair to artists. She did the same thing when streaming launched. She she mm-hmm. she spoke out about you know, unfair streaming rates. She's here speaking out about unfair ticketing and um, you know, Politico reports that we might see a Department of Justice investigation or this might go to uh, court as soon as uh, this fall. So I'm not going to carry water for Ticketmaster, but I've had Michael Rapino runs Ticketmaster and Live Nation on uh, yep. a couple different times. And whenever we talk, there's some complaint about Ticketmaster. And he'll admit that, you know, the platform could get better, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But basically what he says is, look, it's just always a simple supply and demand thing. You don't hear about people having problems for shows that aren't white hot. I mean, the first time I talked to him, it was Hamilton was the hot ticket. He's like, it's a certain amount of space. There's only this many tickets. And so there's always going to be people who can't get tickets or can't buy tickets at a price that are offered. Mm-hmm. Is there something fundamentally different about about the Taylor situation? Well, I think that's also just a piece of the story, right? Mm-hmm. Ticket availability is certainly an issue right now. There's a lot of pent-up demand um, from people not having toured during the pandemic. So there's more artists trying to tour now than there were in the previous couple of years, and many fans want to see them. There is an availability issue both of venues and tickets, but larger issues are there as well. Uh, hidden fees where oftentimes uh, customers are paying 
paying you know 30 40 percent of their ticket prices going are going to these fees that just don't seem to add up there's the fact that the ticketing experience is so poor uh, it's not just the Taylor Swift tour that there's like countless examples of you try to log in and everything just falls apart and you don't get your tickets and you've been waiting in line and you know it's it's kind of I think some of those arguments that oh it's just supply and demand I think that's a bit of hand-waving to say oh we don't actually need to provide a good service even when there's high demand right and I guess the argument would be well what if you know I mean because basically there's a relationship between the venue and Ticketmaster and or, or whatever the ticketing company right. is and so it's not like the consumer has any choice over what ticketing agency they're going to use it's a preset relationship even if you imagined all right if we allowed multiple, if you had the choice about where you were going to buy your tickets from, um, would that fundamentally change anything? And I guess we won't know because it's probably never going to happen. Um, <laughs> well, we'll see what's going to happen with the Department of Justice. I, I think it's a piece of the puzzle that could that could improve service quality. Um, I'm not sure we would see radical changes in um, in ticket prices. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we're back. So we've been talking about Taylor Swift as a musician, as an advocate. And I think part of the appeal, you tell me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of people enjoy the fact that there's Taylor Swift business person. Mm-hmm that she is actively involved in the business, that she talks about that, that -hmm. there's a narrative around her being very hands-on to the point in which I think some of the narratives are are made up. Like there was a story about her walking away from uh, Sam Blankman Freed. If I'm sorry, I made made a mess. Sam Bankman Bankman Freed and FTX. I think the Times reported actually that wasn't true. Is the idea of, uh, first of all, how true is your understanding of, of Taylor Swift business person is it is it a business she is hands-on operating because usually usually artists don't want to operate businesses because they're artists yes i mean you've hit on a very important point that she isn't just an artist there's a, a term that i like called the artist brand panned by Leslie Meyer, who wrote a book called Popular Music as Promotion. I think it sort of describes her. You could also say the personality CEO. And she, uh, like Beyonce, Dolly Parton, Martha Stewart, like she she is exactly that. And it's a role that is not unfamiliar to any performance artist who oftentimes, as I said, other performing artists are often working with other songwriters who are writing their own songs. And then they have Mm -hmm. to sort of play them off as their own. I think that being both the artist and the business person is another one of those relationships. Um, We don't Oftentimes that those relationships are extremely guarded by strict NDAs. I've tried to talk to people on her team without going through her PR one time long ago. And I just stonewall, stonewall, stonewall in a way that I mm-hmm. don't get in the music industry. 
And I do know from having spoken with other um, journalists who've interviewed her and spent more time with her and been around her in her business that, yeah, she's extremely hands-on. She knows what's going on. She calls a lot of the shots, whether they are creative shots or business shots, exactly what ones are going to be impossible to understand. You're not going to pierce those NDAs. But do you think that is part of the brand? I mean, is that is that a core part of her brand that she is the performer and the person backstage making it happen in a way that people are, even if they don't know the details, they're sort of aware that she's a, a you know, um, I'm not going to say it. Okay. Girl boss. Sure. Uh, is that part of the, the pitch? Oh, well, you know, I think that... <laughs> This was saying, I think of Taylor Swift as like this cinematic universe where there's so many different narratives that are happening at any given moment. And I think for some audiences, that is important, right? I think for maybe some of the older Taylor Swift fans who've been with her for a very long time who might be working in business, yes, that is an important detail to her. Um, I think for my young cousins who are 10, 11, 12 years old who love her for uh, her songs about who she's dating, I think there's a very different kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, I love her as a songwriter. I really do. I think she is a great songwriter and that's what most interests me and in what she does um, because I don't, I don't know what role she has in her business. It's hard for me to to follow that as closely. But yeah, I think it's an important piece. It's just there is a there is a Taylor Swift for everybody. I swear, Peter, there is a Taylor Swift for you. And the CEO role maybe maybe one of those roles that uh, they're important to her brand. I remember liking Blank Space. I'm not I'm not anti Taylor. <laughs> um, it's interesting to me that Taylor is unique in her among most of her peers and relatively unique among most of her peers in in saying i've got a beef with apple or spotify yeah. or the music industry or Ticketmaster." um like almost everyone else in popular music steers really clear of politics mm -hmm. um and i would imagine that if she wanted to she could probably you know have real impact um in all kinds of political arenas if she wanted to She's, she slash her team has clearly made a decision not to – I've seen a clip of a documentary where she's arguing with, I guess, her father because mm -hmm. she wants to get involved in, in something involving reproductive rights and there's mm -hmm. a real debate about it. Um, do you think that that sort of apolitical stance is just going to be what we should expect from all artists sort of mm -hmm. indefinitely or do you think that's eventually going to have to break down uh, and people are going to demand some sort of – political affiliation with their artists one way or another. Well, Taylor Swift for a long time was uh, quite apolitical. I think that stems from her coming from the world of country music. Nashville has this very uncomfortable relationship that its core cultural product is often made by very liberal people, made for oftentimes very conservative people. Does not, does not mean that country music is a monolith, but if you look at the the, the, the moment that we're in in country music, uh, it's actually more hotly political than it has ever been before. Um, mm -hmm. Having come from that world, people in country music typically don't talk about politics. And she took a long time to say anything about politics. Uh, I think a lot of fan base were upset about her not taking a, a stance in the Trump administration early on and in his early presidency. She did come out um, uh, and start making some political statements around that documentary, Miss Americana. She was supporting um, some local politicians in Tennessee. So she, she has um, made some statements. About your larger question, though, how are people going how are artists going to represent their politics in this moment i don't feel like i have a good answer for it because i think that there are there is both the retrenchment of corporate america from making political statements yep while at the same time i think there has been a, a cultural leaning into making more overtly political statements the number one song in the country at this moment 
makes jabs at Richmond, north of Richmond, yes. while also, uh, you know, shaming. It's all over the map politically. The Republicans have adopted it, and then he told them to actually don't adopt it. Right, right, right. Okay, so, but but nonetheless, but, like, yes. it's it's in there. I mean, there there yeah. well, a few weeks ago there was a song number two that makes allusions to to, to lynching. You know that song, yep. Small Town. So. How she's going to play it, I think she's going to lean into more of the liberal identity, which she's she's established. But I don't think we're going to see her as the. I don't. I shouldn't speculate too far. So she's going to end this tour having grossed more than one point three billion dollars, shattering records around the world. What do you imagine she does next? Does she go? All right, that's it. We're done touring for a couple <laughs> years, or I, I'm right back at it next summer. How do you think she? And then you know, I'm 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 only going to record, or actually, you know, how do you think she is thinking about? the next era of her career, pun intended. I think like any artist who has such a big moment, she will go into a moment of hibernation. That is the natural thing to do. She's been more available to the public recently than she had been for many years. And so... Because isn't there an argument now that says actually in the streaming era, you kind of have to be on all the time and, and continuing to make new product and, and actually no one cares about your last album. They just want something new from you this month. I think that's true if you don't feel that you have a dedicated fan base. I think that she has clearly established herself as one of the, the strongest fan bases that are going to wait around for her, whether it's going to be a year or five. Probably if I were to project what I want, I think she'll go back into just more songwriting. That's clearly the thing that she loves. And I've spoken again with, with many journalists that have spent a lot of time with her. I've, I'm not going to spend time with Taylor Swift, but it's clear that like her deepest love is writing songs, and uh, she clearly and it seems to be enjoying being on tour. Uh, but I don't know anyone that truly loves always being on tour. It's a exhausting and difficult uh, to life to be moving around that much. Uh, and obviously, she's doing it in absolute luxury, but it's uh, it's draining. It's real work, Charlie. I hope talking to me about Taylor Swift was not work. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I happen to be at my place of work, but I love talking about Taylor Swift. I love talking to you about Taylor Swift and anything else you want to chat about. Your pos- your podcast is Switched on Pop. You should go listen to it right now since this interview is over. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Peter. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free. That's zero dollars. Still the same. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for editing the show, producing the show. And thanks to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>